Uh, it's a joy to be here. My wife Miriam and I are just delighted with the fellowship, uh, the great hospitality. Thank you very much, Andrea and Jeff. Appreciate very much the fellowship that we enjoy together. Uh, thank you for schlepping me around, Chris. Appreciate that very much. Uh, it's a great joy to be back with you. Uh, and uh, I want to be sharing with you this morning something that has to do with our chief testimony uh, as a Messianic community. I'm going to start here at the Bima and then work my way down because I feel so far away from you guys. So I want to get closer. Because one of our testimonies has to do with that. Uh, we saw in, uh, in the Torah section, uh, Torah Pasha for today, uh, the, the actual cleansing of the uh, Levites. Uh, and then we saw in the portion from the Haftorah, you don't feel intimidated by me being here, do you? You okay? Cool. And so we saw in the Haftorah section from Zechariah a wonderful promise uh, that the nations would be joined uh, with his people before the Lord. Uh, and so it's a wonderful testimony that we see there the word uh, for Levi, Levi, uh, is the same root for the word to join. Uh, and so there's a beautiful picture of the nations bringing into service, being joined together. And then we see, of course, that the testimony of the sacrifice, uh, the widow's might as such, uh, being the testimony to those nations. And the issue of testimony is, is vital for us. Uh, we live for uh, the testimony of Hashem, the testimony of our God, uh, for his faithfulness to our people and to the nations. Uh, every messianic community lives for that end, to demonstrate the faithfulness of God. But we have so many testimonies, so many different ways, facets of that diamond, to be able to communicate his faithfulness. Uh, there's one in particular uh, that he is uh, placed above all the others, and we want to make sure we focus on that for everything else kind of is a subset uh, to that wonderful testimony he wants. I'd like us to look at the portion of script. By the way, when you came in, I believe you were given a bulletin with a bulletin, like wheels within wheels kind of thingy. Uh, if you, you'll need one to follow along, and you'll find it very useful because there's a lot of hot air right around where I'm standing. Thank you for that pity laugh. Appreciate it. Uh, in the bulletin, uh, the title of what we're studying is God's Love for Israel and You. I want to look at the section of Scripture from Jeremiah, or as we called him where I was growing up, Jerry Myers. We felt very close to him. Uh, Jeremiah 31, verse 1 through 3. Jeremiah 31, 1 through 3. I'd like us to read the whole section in unison uh, that we might then uh, bring it before the Lord in prayer. Read along with me, please. At that time, declares the Lord, I will be the God of all the families of Israel, and they shall be my people. Thus says the Lord, the people who survived the sword found grace in the wilderness. Israel, when it went to find its rest, the Lord appeared to him from afar, saying, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I have drawn you with loving kindness. Avinu, how thankful we are for your love. Uh, words uh, just fall short 
of the greatness of your love towards your people, a love that is demonstrated fully, finally, and forever in our Messiah, for you show how you care about those of us who fall short of your glory. But we ask as well that not only would your name be honored and exalted in our time of worship, as we are thankful for your love, but we ask even now that Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit, might minister in our midst in such a way that we would not only be appreciative of that love that we receive by faith in Yeshua, but we would also be instruments of that love, that we might be that testimony, not only in our community here, but to the other ends of the, of the earth, uh, that the very sacrifice of Yeshua might be made known, and the love of God might be declared, and the name of God would be exalted and lifted up. For we pray that in the name of Yeshua, may that name be enthroned in the praises of his people. For we pray, B'Shem Yeshua, HaMashiach HaDemenu, in the name of Yeshua the Messiah, our Lord. Amen. Amen. Okay. I'm not sure if what I have to say is any better than my prayer. I, was, I really enjoyed my own prayer, to tell you the truth. Praise God. Uh, when we take a look at this section of Scripture, the way I teach, I start at the top, I work my way down. Just like when I started the Bema, here I am with you. Please notice verse 1. In verse 1, he starts off in a strange way. He says, at that time. What a strange way to begin the chapter. At that time. We would probably say, what time are you talking about? Well, let's remember that chapter breaks uh, were added uh, after the fact, after the fact, uh, along with verse numbers and things like that. Uh, it helps us in our study together, and so we're thankful for them. Uh, but chapter 30 and chapter 1 just roll along, so to speak. And so understand what he's saying when he says, at that time. You have to go back to the previous chapter. And you'll notice underneath that section from Jeremiah 31, we have Jeremiah 30, verse 24. Read it with me, please. The fierce anger of the Lord will not turn back until he has performed and until he has accomplished the intent of his heart. In the latter days, you will understand this. Wow. Wow. At that time, the fierce anger of the Lord. The anger of the Lord is bad enough the fierce anger I don't even want to know about. But there the anger, the wrath of God being poured out is being spoken of. And what a message Jeremiah had. Now listen, friends, this message was for us. In the latter days, you will understand this. In the, I mean, that give you know, about, what, 2,500 years or so? I mean, good grief. Can you imagine if Howard... Uh, if he came and gave you a message uh, and said, by the way, this won't be helpful to you for about 2,500 years, you probably would say, throw me a bone, Howard. I got, Rabbi, I have a tough week coming up. I need a little something, you know? But here we have something that is something for our period of time, uh, the last days uh, that we are in. The very issues of all Scripture, of all the Torah and the prophets, all culminating uh, in our generation. What a generation we have. Uh, there's never been this many Jewish people have come to faith since the first century. God is doing a work in our day that has not been done since the first century. God is doing a great work in our day. And God is kind of getting our attention that we are part of that testimony of his faithfulness. 
that testimony that he has not only for our community, but even for the whole world. And so we want to appreciate what it says there at that time. It's very important to appreciate that. To pre- you know, a text out of context becomes a pretext for any subtext you want to have. And so we want to, yes, I spend a lot of time thinking about things like that, probably too much time. But in any case, we want to understand the context to appreciate the message that uh, Jerry Myers has for us in the latter days. And so we take a look at that. What are we talking about there? Uh, Yeshua, uh, he mentioned that this was called uh, the Great Tribulation, when the wrath of God will be poured out, a most horrific time in human history. And so that period of time was intended uh, to kind of do a very special work. You say, well, what do you mean, a special work? Well, there's three reasons why that period of time will come about. Uh, the first is because it's to prove that Hasatan, that Satan, of what we read about in Zechariah, to prove that Satan is a liar. Now, we know he's a liar. It says so in John 8.44. We know that. But there are many people who believe a lie. Most of the world, unfortunately, most of the world think a lie will promote them or protect them. Well, this period of time will prove that Satan cannot protect his own. Those who trust in lies are going to be seen uh, for what they are. The second reason for this period of time is not to prove that Satan is a liar, but also to punish the nations for their sins. Some of us might say, about time, about time. You say, well, what do you mean? Uh, the Lord has given so much time for repentance. I was speaking uh, at a, a group of uh, uh, senior Jewish men like myself. Uh, they, didn't, they were pre-believers, I would say. Uh, and, we were t- and, and, and I talked about Teshuvah, repentance. And they said, you know, I, I got through my surgery, okay. I said, well, God is giving, may, may give you 10 years. It's not 10 years to live. It's 10 years to repent. And so you have to understand there will be a reckoning. And we must understand that for ourselves as well. But the final and reason that Jeremiah is writing this is what Jeremiah says in Jeremiah 30 and verse 7. You'll notice what he says in Jeremiah 30 verse 7. He says, alas, for that day is great, there is none like it. And it's the time of Jacob's distress. But he will be saved out of it, Baruch Hashem. And so we want to understand uh, the reason, the third reason, not only to prove Satan's a liar, not only to punish the nations for their sins, but to prepare Israel for the coming king and kingdom. To prepare our people for Messiah's return. May it May his name be blessed forever. And so we understand this period of time. We can now take a look at verse 1 in Jeremiah 31. Now we understand the context of what he's speaking about. So in verse 1 of Jeremiah 31, it says, At that time declares the Lord, I'll be the God of all the families of Israel, and they shall be my people. Oh, may it be, O God. This is the only place in the Tanakh, in the Hebrew Scriptures, where we see this promise for national revival. Perhaps it was at this place that Rav Shaul, the Apostle Paul, 
uh, maybe it was at this place he was thinking about when he actually prophesied in Romans 11.26, and thus all Israel will be saved. Perhaps it is looking at this very section of Scripture, the hope of our people here, being regathered not merely to the land, but to the Lord. And so we want to understand what verse 1 is saying. Despite the misery, the horror, the awfulness of the times, the difficulties, all the tsuris and simis you can, you can think about, despite all that, God will do his greatest work for our people. His greatest work. And so we want to appreciate what verse 1 is talking about. And so you'll notice this promise, this promise that God has, that he will be our people and will be joined in him spiritually to be united with him in love uh, as a testimony of his grace through faith in Messiah. So we want to appreciate the issues here. Verse 1 tells us something very important. What in the world is God doing? What is God up to? What's he trying to accomplish? Verse 1 tells us he's in the restoration business. God is into the restoration business. Ever since in Bereshit chapter 3, uh, we had, you know, when we read through the text uh, in Bereshit, we see that all the days, all the first six days of creation, they all had a beginning and an end. Night and day, night and day, night and day. Not Shabbat. The seventh day, no, no, had a beginning, but it's supposed to stay Shabbat. And so we want to understand that what happened when sin entered the human equation, it broke our rest with God. It broke relationship. And ever since then, God's been looking to restore a lost humanity, a lost, you know, the lost sheep of the house of Israel, as Yeshua said. Uh, but it may be to the Jew first, it's not to the Jew only. It turns out that God is an equal opportunity savior. May his name be blessed for that. But nonetheless, we want to appreciate that God's in the restoration business. Beginning, of course, with his people, but he loves all people. Uh, God cares about all of us. You say, just the good-looking ones? No, you'd be surprised. Some of my family, too. <laughs> so we want to understand verse 1 here. We see this promise of restoration, this promise that God has for us, a restored relationship God's in the restoration business. Are you? You say, what do you mean? This is what God's about. Everything he's doing is about our redemption. Everything he's doing is about our restoration. And so if you're not involved in the restoration business with him, you're spiritually unemployed. You have to understand God is doing a work in our day that our people are coming to faith. Wonderful, glorious things taking place. God is at work amongst Israel. Is that good news? This side is okay. You got pray for that side. <laughs> Just saying, Jeff. Okay. Understand God's at, and where God's at work is where we want to be at work. We want to make our punches count. We want to redeem the time. We want to make sure that we are doing as God has called us to be, to be a testimony of his faithfulness a testimony of who he is and what he has done. Well, in any case, we see this promise, we see the period of time, the context for the whole matter, and the redemption of Israel is in his sight. This is the view that all the prophets had, that Moshe and the prophets all had this same view, the view of the redemption of Israel. And so we want to appreciate that very perspective. But between you and me, just to tell you, 
The redemption of Israel seems like a lot of work. You know, it really does. How in the world is that ever going to get done? You say, well, maybe, maybe Marcy can do it. I, I'm, she can do a lot of things. And I probably wouldn't put it past Andrea either, just saying. But nonetheless, though there's some mighty, mighty warriors uh, the Lord has, that's heavy. How in the world is God going to absolutely redeem our people? How's that going to happen? Well, verse 2 tells us how. Verse 1 tells us what he's doing. Verse 2 tells us how he's going to get it done. Jeremiah 31, verse 2. Thus says the Lord, the people who survived the sword, a little code phrase for that period of time that Messiah called the tribulation, you see. The people who survived the sword found grace in the wilderness. Grace in the wilderness. Do you get that? Grace in the wilderness. You say, what do you mean? That's how he's going to do it. By grace. Understand a couple of things. The verse goes on to say, Israel, when it went to find its rest. Now picture this. Look at, look at how the verse lays out here. Here's Israel. Uh, if you've been to the land recently, you know our people are always desperate for peace. Desperate for what we take for granted. Uh, they're, you know, they're desperate to, to have some assurance that their children will come home on the school bus they went to school on in the morning. They're desperate for what we may not appreciate very much at all. That very, that very rest, that peace for our souls here. But we are the people who understand these matters. Here they are seeking that rest. That rest, where do we get that rest? Grace in the wilderness. Grace provides that rest. The grace that God has provides the rest that our souls seek for. This is how God provides rest for us, through his grace that he has. And for some of us, as we've read through the scriptures, we see what Yeshua taught us. Remember what he said to our people in, in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. What did he say there? He said, come unto me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you what? Rest. See, we know where it's found. We know where it is found. The Messiah of Israel, he is God's gracious gift. He gives us rest. So we can have that Shabbat, that Shabbat that was broken back in Bereshit chapter 3. We can have that rest, that Shabbat, that relationship with the living God. And so we want to appreciate the process, how God gets things done. How does God get his work done? This is how he gets it done. And there's really no other way to get it done. You say, well, hold it a second. Uh, I wore my kippah in a jaunty fashion on the left side of my head. Isn't that going to mean work for something? No, you'll probably make, you know, the messianic top 10 trend list, but that doesn't, not going to make a difference. It's always going to be the way God said it was going to be. And so what do you mean? Well, it's going to be grace. Grace providing the rest. Grace in the wilderness. You say, what? You know, the only time you look for God's grace is when you're going through those wilderness experiences. Have you noticed? When everything is working out fine, when everything is working out just dandy, I mean, our prayers are going to, if we be honest about it, our prayers would be something along the lines of, uh, listen, God, everything is working out okay. I don't need any character-developing experience. Amen. But when everything falls apart, 
When the train's off the track, everything comes apart at the seams. You fumble the book. You said it out loud again. Oh, Lord, help me. In those situations, he provides us with grace, grace in those wilderness experiences. How unlike the world we live in. In the world we live in, you know, you watch these police programs, they play good cop and bad cop, but the whole goal of both of them is to merely get you to admit that you did the deed. Then they lock you up and throw away the key. You say, what do you mean? Well, how is it, why is it that when we, when we admit to God that we fumbled the ball, that we messed up, uh, that we basically have you know, said it out loud again and again. Why is it that he provides grace in the wilderness? Why is it that he would do that to understand that matter, to appreciate that? We have to understand the issue of grace. You say, what do you mean? Now, you may be a visitor, and you may not be familiar with some of the biblical jargon as such. And so you want to understand what grace is. See, grace is that God has done everything for his people in the Messiah. The Messiah's atonement paid the full price for our horrible, I don't want to say them out loud, sins. All the things that we don't say out loud, all of that kind of stuff. God had the Messiah of Israel pay the price and therefore, when we place our simple faith and trust in what he has provided for us, when we do that, he then graciously brings us into the mishpucha. He brings us into the family. He brings us into the community of God, graciously caring for us when we simply trust in what he has done for us. You say, well, I still don't get it. Okay, let me put it another way. Some of you understand how gracious Jeff is. You say, yeah, well, what do you mean? Well, you don't understand how gracious he is. I'm going to tell you how gracious my dear uh, Lanceman is. He is so gracious, probably this evening he's going to want to take me out for dinner. Thank you, Jeff. <laughs> what a guy. And he is so gracious, he's going to want to take me to a really good place to eat. Wow. And he is so gracious. He's going to want to pay for the whole thing. You're the guy. <laughs> what a guy. Okay. But you know, some of you guys here, you know how this rolls. You know how it works, right? We know how it works. Around the end of the meal, I got to show that I can step up. I got, you can be invited to. He's that gracious. Just want to let you know. But at the end of the meal, as guys, we got to show that I, can, I, 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 I bring something to the table. So I have to say, okay, Jeff, that's great, but I got the tip. And he's going to say, no, I got the whole thing covered. What a guy. But you see, that's the human condition. God got the whole thing covered, but we want to show that we could do a few good things. We can step up. We can do a few good deeds, a few good works, and show that we bring something to the table. No, 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 no. You cannot add to what God has provided in Messiah without saying he hasn't done enough. No, no. That's what the grace of God is. He got the whole thing covered and graciously brings us in with our simple faith and trust in what God has done for us in Yeshua. 
And so we want to appreciate this grace. But where is it from? Why is God God so gracious to me? You know, a schlepper from New York. Yes, I confess, I'm from New York. That may be one of the worst sins. But I've repented. I repented all the way down to Charlotte, which is a lot of repenting, I want you to know. But why in the world does he do that? Listen, this is the most important thing. Something that we will be driving home during our conference. Please remember us in prayer for the next couple of days. Because we need to understand our testimony, the testimony of God and his faithfulness to us. Why is God gracious? Why is God gracious? Let's take a look at verse 3 as we conclude. Verse 3, we read there, The Lord appeared to him from afar. How far? I don't care how far. You know, no matter how much you may think your sins have so separated you from the Holy One of Israel, God will reach you. God will reach you. The Lord appeared to him from afar saying, I have loved you. Stop there. That's why. That's why. See, God loves us and realizes we can't do anything to save ourselves. And therefore, he extends grace to us because he loves us. His love produces the grace to those he loves. That's why he is gracious to us, because he loves us. And so we want to understand our calling, our testimony, as we are joined to him, joined at the heart, if not at the hip, joined to him in love, the very life we live out to the glory of his name, that he is faithful to our people. And therefore, his faithfulness is seen that he will not forsake a people whom he foreknew. And every Messianic synagogue testifies to his faithfulness. Every Messianic synagogue testifies not merely to the faithfulness of our community, but to the love that God has poured out into our hearts. And so we want to understand, how do we have a growing testimony? How do we do that? It's going to be because his love is seen more in us. It's the love of It's the love of God that makes the difference. Yeshua gave us a new mitzvah, as if we didn't have enough mitzvot. But nonetheless, Yeshua said, he said, a new mitzvah I give unto you. Love one another as I have loved you. And by this, all people will know you're my Talmudim, my disciples, if you have love one for another. And so for us to have a growing testimony that our God is faithful to Israel and the nations, therefore that testimony of love, the love that produces the grace of God that brought our Messiah to come in our place to be our Kippur, our atonement. And so we want to grow in the love of God. In verse 3, let's take a quick look at it. There's three areas for us to grow. Three areas to grow in his love. And I'd like us to grow together, to grow together. Notice what it says here. The first thing, we, we already read the verse, but notice what it says here. He says, I have loved you. It doesn't get simpler than that, does it? It can't be simpler than that. God loves you. Understand, if we're going to grow, we have to understand his love is personal. His love is always personal. He always cares. He can't take the hint. 
even though we may have been trying to give him the hint as often as we can in many different ways that we can, that we're just not interested. Nonetheless, he cares for us. It's a personal thing. You see, that's why Yeshua came. He's not just some messenger boy. You know, go here, go there. No, no, that's why the Scriptures calls him Ben Elohim, why he has come in the flesh. That's why he is who he is. Adonai, and that's why we want to understand the issue of his love. His love so clearly demonstrated for us that while we were yet sinners in the wilderness, Messiah came, died in our place. Understand this. This is why it's always personal with God. It's always personal. That's why we need to trust in him personally. That's why we need to trust in him personally. Because it's a personal thing. You say, well, what about uh, our prayers? Our prayers are wonderful. They're, they're, they're great. They bring us unity together as we pray together. But understand, they only have validity when we love God. It has to do with a heart issue. And so we want to appreciate. That's why the two great commandments Yeshua taught us were love God and love whoever else there is. Love God and love others. So we want to appreciate this issue. Is it personal? Is it still personal with you? That's why we share him personally. That's why we must trust in him personally. It's a personal thing. It's not a religious thing. It's not a ceremonial thing. It's a personal thing. That's how the love of God is. But is it still personal? You say, well, what do you mean? This is, uh, if you're a visitor here, this is a wonderful group of people. I, I love Beth Messiah. I love your rabbi. I love your elders. Uh, I love you. It's a wonderful group of people. But even these people, as wonderful as they are, uh, we're pretty ordinary folks, if you understand what I mean. Uh, let me show you what I mean. Look around for a second. Ready for this? How many people here confess you you were a sinner, but you were saved by God's grace through faith in Messiah? Raise your hand. Take a look around. You thought you were the only one. No. What does that mean? We grow slowly. And so therefore, you may become part of a community here uh, because we're you know, loving and caring and kind and forgiving and merciful and all that, but we're ordinary people. We can chafe you. We might disappoint you. You say, really? Yes, we're ordinary. You know, if I step on your toe, you say, ouch. That's probably how I'll know. I'm not the most sensitive man. I'll say, oh, sorry, I didn't mean it personally. You'll say, listen, it's my toe. It's always personal to me. And so even in a community like this, we can chafe one another. You say, well, I don't understand. You can learn the wrong lesson. You can come here and even think, I'm not going to take it personally. I'm not going to open my heart. I'm not going to allow myself to be hurt, to be disrespected, to be, to be made to feel like they don't care about me. I'm not going to open my heart. And maybe you've done that in other parts of your life where you've tried to protect yourself and not open your life. And therefore, you think you're protecting your own dignity. No, no, you're, you're keeping yourself from the very love of God. We must understand the issues here. It's always personal with him. And we close ourselves off because we're trying to protect ourselves. We're not growing in the personal love of God. And it's always, you have to care more now than before. Not only that, notice also what that verse 3 says. It says there, I have loved you. How? With an everlasting love. 
That's how. You say, what do you mean? God's love is not only personal, it is permanent, perpetual, nonstop, an everlasting love. You say, well, what do you mean by that? Nothing can stop his love. Nothing can, he only has one gear, everlasting love. It's not like he says, ah, I gave her the shot. You know, I signed the prenup with you, right? So it's okay. It's all right. We have a prenup. No hard feelings. We all... God has no prenup. God wants to love you forever. Understand that's the only way the love of God works. So when you grow in his love, it's not going to be a test drive. It's forever. Uh, I had a friend, you know, uh, <laughs> quite honestly, who became a friend, a young man, in the office, uh, and uh, we, we had a young man, a Jewish young man, come to visit our office, uh, and he got our contact and all. And he came into the office, and he kind of a little shaken up. His name's Adam, a Jewish kid, 18. 18's really young. I get, I gets younger every year, 18, by the way. But nonetheless, he came in, and he and kind of he looked a little troubled. I said, what's wrong? He said, well, you know, got issues. I said, well, where do you live? And then he kind of stopped. I'm living in a doorway downtown. I said, why are you we're living in a doorway downtown? And he started to tear up. He said, I get in trouble a lot. And my father said to me, Adam, one more time, son. One more time. And you're out of this house. And he called to get the words out. He said, there's always one more time for me. And my heart broke for him because I have two sons and I can be impatient. And so I shared with this young man, Adam, the only hope for my life. Yeshua said, if anyone comes to him, he will in no way, no way cast him out. If anyone comes, he will in no way. When Adam saw those words, he broke down because that's what he needed. He needed a love that would not give up on him. That's what God has for our people. This is why God will never forsake our people. Why? Because he's faithful. He is faithful. We're the living demonstration of the faithfulness of God. And so we want to, what's the key to a marriage? What's the key? It's the love of God. The love that does not give up. The love that will not quit. And so we want to appreciate what this means. This is the testimony of faithfulness. A testimony that will never quit, never give up. This is the testimony of Israel. Not that we have stuck with God, but his love has not given up on us. And this is what we have in our Messiah. The last thought, and this is really the last of the last thoughts. Notice what it said there in verse 3. He says there, I've loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, in light of that, this is now going to happen. Here's the consequence. Here's the result. Therefore, I have drawn you with loving kindness. How? What? God's love is powerful. God's love is what gets the job done. That's You say, well, why did we buy a building and all this? This is just the instrument so we can express his love. The, the, understand, it's not a building. It, it's, not, it's, it's, it's his love. 
Everything we do is to help us communicate his love, that our values are going to be communicated through our activities, through our practices, and the practices in them themselves are not going, they're just going to be things to help communicate the love. And so we want to appreciate what makes the difference. Love, God's love is powerful. I've drawn you. This is what's going to make the difference, individually and for a nation. For indeed, the prophet said, that Isaiah 53, it says there, all we like sheep have all gone astray, each one has turned to his own way, but the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And so there was a prophecy that our people will recognize our Messiah. In Zechariah 12.10, they shall look unto me, whom they have pierced, and mourn from his one mourns for an only son. And so we want to understand God will bring our people back nationally by the very same grace that he has done for you individually. It's all the same to him. He's just waiting for our people to respond to him, just like we have individually as a remnant. And so we want to understand how in the world to get it done, that love of God, that love that produces the grace of God, that love that gets us into the restoration business with him. And so understand this powerful love. I, I don't know what kind of problems people have. Health problems, financial problems, relationship issues. I understand. I understand. But I want you to understand that his love is what breaks the bondage. His love is what makes the difference. His love is what actually helps us to be his people, amidst in, in the midst of everything that we're going through, with all the tourists that life can throw at us, we can testify he is faithful to us. He will not forsake us. His love indeed is forever, and it's powerful enough to draw us. Our contact information is passed around. And I got a call from uh, a, a man, uh, and his name... I'll just say for public purposes, his name Bernie. I got a call from him. Someone gave him our contact information, called him. And so I said, hello. And he said, yeah, uh, hi, Sam Nadler. Look, uh, uh, your name was given to me. I'm, I'm looking for God. How do I find God? I said, well, okay, let's get together and talk. Uh, I knew the shepherd was looking for the sheep. I didn't know there was a sheep looking for the shepherd. It was a little bit of... Turn around for me. So we got together, and I said, so tell me, Bernie, what have you done to try uh, to know this God? What have you done to try to know God? He says, I've done everything. Uh, seems like he read all, all, every book he could find except the right book, as it turns out. <laughs> and so I, I, I said, listen, let me tell you a real simple story of what God has done that you might know him. And I said, uh, the problem that we don't know him that we know about him, which is our religion, but knowing him is the relationship that he wants to have with us. He wants us to know him and not just know about him. I said the reason that we cannot know him is because of sin, because of sin. And many of us are familiar with the prophets, how Isaiah said that our sins have made a separation between us and our God, and he, and he will not hear us. And so we want to understand we have a problem there. It separates us. And I said, but God took care of this little problem because the Messiah came. He made atonement for our sins, raised from the dead to prove it all true. And if you'll just take some faith, whatever you got around, 
You don't even need special, it turns out you don't need any very special faith. Whatever faith you have, if you will just place that on Yeshua, place that faith on him, the sin issue that separates you from God will be taken care of, and you'll know him, you'll know him, just simple faith in him. He says, oh, that'll never work for me. I said, it works for everyone, why not you? And, and he said, well, listen, I, maybe I'm misunderstanding you, but I left my wife and two children to live with this other woman. And if you're saying I have to stop loving this woman and start loving this Yeshua, if I have to stop you know, believing on her and start believing on her, I can never do that. I can never do that. I said, what? He said, I love her too much. I can never do that. I said, don't you realize it's wrong? And this is what he said. This one. He said, how could it be wrong when it, when it feels so right? So we looked at some obscure scripture. Thou shalt not commit adultery. He looked at that and he said, well, okay, maybe it's wrong. But what can I do about it? I love her too much. I said, that's why we need the Messiah. Sin is stronger than we are. And we get to see, we can't tell the difference between love and lust. We get, but God's love, God's love will help you. And we looked at some scripture together. We're more than conquerors through him who loved us. We can do all things through Messiah who strengthens us. He looked at those scriptures and Ruach HaKodesh touched his heart. You know, I know that because he said to me, you know, I, I really think this Yeshua can help me. And so we prayed together. And he trusted Messiah. We prayed, we cried together. It was really good. The next day he called me up and he was in tears. He said, this is horrible. I said, what's wrong, Bernie? What's wrong? He said, listen, remember that woman I was living with? Yeah. I went home and I told her we couldn't live together anymore because of Yeshua. And so we split up. I feel like my heart has been torn out of my chest. What am I going to do? It hurts so bad. I said, listen, this is what the scripture tells us, that if because you trust God, you obey God, you hurt, you suffer, the balm of Gilead, the comfort of God will be there for you. You believe that? I do. And so we prayed about that. The next day, a Friday, he calls him back. Sam! Born. What? Who is this? I never heard a happy Bernie before, you know? He said, isn't God good? I said, well, I always thought so. What makes you say so? He said, listen, remember that woman I was living with? Yeah. Well, she got so curious about this matter, she went and, and, she, and, and she, talked, she talked to a pastor and she got born again. Well, isn't that good? I'm happy to hear good news. He said, I called on my wife. I said, you did what? He said, I called on my wife. What did you talk about? I asked her to forgive me. What did she say? Since I left her, she came to faith in Yeshua. We're going to be a family again. We're going to be a family. Isn't God good, Sam? God is very good. But listen, most of us know how that story usually ends. But that's why we're here. God's in the restoration business. God is able. And we are his living testimony of his faithfulness, of his sufficient grace for our life, that his love can make a difference in any soul. So we want to understand the very calling we have as the people of God. The testimony of his faithfulness. Every messianic synagogue testifies every day, every hour of the faithfulness of our God that he has not forsaken his people. His love is everlasting. His grace is sufficient. 
that everyone can know of a great God and be joined together in him. Let's pray. As we bow our hearts before God, it's my custom, my personal custom, to close with a simple prayer for us to bring our hearts before God. And if you're a visitor here, we close our eyes, but we open our hearts to God. And perhaps there's something in your soul that he has surfaced, that he needs to deal with in some way. Uh, there's some area of your life you need him to work in. Or perhaps you're here and you've never personally trusted in the Messiah. This may be your opportunity right now, right now. He wants you to know him and not just know about him. So I'm going to close with a simple prayer. If this prayer reflects your own heart, your own heart's cry, your own prayer, in your heart, just say it along with me. He hears your heart. He hears all your thoughts. So use this prayer to place your faith in Yeshua. Not that a prayer can save you, no. But it will focus your faith in Yeshua. And faith in our Messiah is what makes the difference. And so if you're already a believer, but it's not been personal for a while, use this prayer to rededicate yourself to him. Whatever it is, God hears our hearts. In your heart, along with me, just pray this simple prayer. Avinu, our Father, forgive me for my selfishness. Forgive me for my bitterness. Forgive me for my fears. Forgive me for my habits. Forgive me for my anger. Forgive me. Cleanse my sins away through the atonement of the Messiah. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for restoring me. So even now, confirm to our hearts the truth of your love, the fullness of our relationship, our salvation in the Messiah. Not only that we might be a living testimony as a community, but that we might be reaching out to the greater Jewish community, even beyond to the nations, that they might know of a God who has not forsaken humanity, for he has not forsaken the Jewish people. Guide us now, and may your blessing abide. For this we pray, B'Shem Yeshua HaMashiach Anameinu, in the name of Yeshua the Messiah, our Lord. Amen. If you prayed that prayer with me, please tell one of the elders of what God's doing in your life. So they can encourage you and help you to grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord.